Gifts and objects tell a story. If you think about the objects that you have around you at your house, maybe it's on your desk at work. I realize lots of us are working from home. So maybe it's at your desk at home or in your kitchen or in your garage. Think about what are the objects that you have around you and what do they say about who you are? I had an, a boss that I worked for who had a picture of his family. He had a little uh, bicycle, like a, not a big bike, but a little kind of figurine of a bicycle. And then an action figure of Rick Grimes from The Walking Dead. Now, based on those objects, you could kind of put together who this guy was. See, he was a dad to five kids and an awesome dad at that. He worked with a ministry where he would ride bikes and they would support um, house building efforts in Mexico. And then the other thing is this was one of the toughest guys named Rick that I've ever met and definitely a guy I want backing me up in the zombie apocalypse. I've had a bunch of objects around me at different times and they tell stories. They have stories attached to them. There's a little plush avocado that sits on my desk that one of the, the youth in our church got for me because I had told this story about a tradition that my family does where we give each other an avocado at Christmas because that's a normal thing that every family should do. Now, we're in a series at both of our churches, Dallas Church and Village Church, where we are unpacking the gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus. There's three of them, and you, you can probably rattle them off if you've been around church or you've been around the Christmas story, right? It's gold, Frankenstein, frankincense, and myrrh. And last week, Pastor Mike talked about how myrrh, which was probably the weirdest of the gifts. Uh, my wife and I, we're about to have a baby in January. And everybody's kind of, you know, we got some gifts and some stuff from family and we're going to have a baby shower soon. And I'm hoping that nobody is going to show up to our baby shower with embalming fluid because that's really weird. But that's what myrrh was, kind of the equivalent, this spice that they brought. Now, that's really weird until you think about the fact that Jesus was the Messiah and the suffering servant. That's a core part of the Christian faith, that Jesus died in our place for our sins. That's why we have crosses on both of our church's stages. Now, the other gifts that they brought also tell a story and they mean something. And we're going to keep going with that today. So if you brought a Bible, would you go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 2 and let's pray as we jump into God's word. Father God, we bring this Christmas season to you. We pray that our, our spirits and our souls and our minds would be turned towards you by all of the things that happen around Christmas that remind us of you, that we wouldn't get sucked in to commercialism or kind of a, a cultural Christmas, but God, that this season would be about you and that we would remember you. We give this time to you today and it is in your name, Jesus, we pray, amen. Now, maybe you are familiar with the Christmas story. It's actually a really long story. If I was gonna sit and try and tell you all the little elements, but the details all matter and they mean something. So we're gonna dive in to what Matthew says in his gospel account about the birth of Jesus and kind of the elements surrounding that event. Matthew wrote the most Jewish of the gospel accounts. And by that, I mean, it ties into the Old Testament. And why does that matter? Well, because we are Christians who believe in the God of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Matthew ties it together with the figure of Jesus. So Mary and Joseph, you've probably heard the story. 
They were from the tribe of Judah, the kingly tribe of Israel. That's where all the kings would come from. If you rewound history about 500 years, that would have been an awesome thing. They would have been riding high. They would have been nobles in their society. But in the world that they lived in, they were oppressed because there were kingdoms that had come up and risen and fallen. And the tribe of Judah wasn't even ruling themselves at that point. But the Roman government had brought in this guy named Herod as the king over them from a completely different nation. And so Herod is ruling over the Jews when Mary and Joseph are alive. And Mary gets pregnant, and that's kind of awkward because Joseph knows it's not his. And an angel comes to Joseph and tells him, no, it's okay, God's doing something in this. This baby will be Emmanuel, God with us. And then they have to go down to Bethlehem, and the baby is born not in a throne room. This kingly baby from the tribe of Judah is not born in a castle, but rather in a manger. And so Mary and Joseph live there for a little while, and there's a star. We put stars on our trees. Maybe you have a star on your tree. And the wise men saw the star and came from a kingdom in the east all the way to Jerusalem, which is the capital city of Israel. And they walk into Jerusalem, they walk up to King Herod, and they say, congratulations. Well, that's not exactly what they said. Let me read it. Uh, they said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And this is a really awkward moment because King Herod has not recently been born. He's a really old guy at this point, and he doesn't have a son. He, he didn't just have a brand new son. In fact, actually, King Herod was so paranoid about his power and holding onto it that he had killed his wife and his sons so that nobody would come after his throne. And that's the guy that the wise men say, good news, there's a new king. Super awkward. So then Herod pulls in the Jewish scholars and the people who have studied the Old Testament and the Bible. And they said, well, where is this king? Where is he going to be if there is a new one? And they read from the prophets, verse 5, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. And then Herod tells the wise men, you go find this baby and you tell me where he is so that I can come and worship him. And we all know that he's double dealing at that point. He has no intention of worshiping this baby. This is a, a black ops kind of mission that he sends them on. And the wise men go and they find Mary and Joseph. And verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so they bring these gifts, and we've talked about what myrrh means. Priestly stuff is what the incense was about, the fact that Jesus would be a priest and intercede for God's people. And then we come to the gift we're going to unpack and talk about today. And that is the gift of gold. Now, I have some gold right here that is actually on loan from someone. This is not from the private treasury of Andrew Bullock. But here is some gold. It's crazy when you think about it how long gold 
has dominated human ambition and imagination. All the way back in ancient times, where they were mining for gold and using it as currency, and you fast forward up to the 20th century where we had to talk about the gold standard. And even to this day, gold will represent the power structure, wealth, power, kingship. And by giving gold to the baby Jesus, the wise men were declaring that he was the king. See, the wise men understood that the Messiah was a complicated figure. The Jewish scholars, they were waiting for a political king. They were waiting for this figure that was everything, kind of all the figures, president, superhero, pastor, liberator, civil rights movement leader, wrapped into one. And they said, we want this Messiah. And the wise men understood that the kingdom of this Messiah would be different than the kingdoms of the world around us. Now, we use the word gospel a lot in church. We have gospel music. We say, oh yeah, that guy preached the gospel, man. We talk about gospel truth. And what we mean when we say the gospel is normally about being saved. But the word gospel actually in the New Testament times, that was a kingdom word. They wrote about Caesar Augustus. They said, the birthday of Caesar Augustus has been for the world the beginning of the gospel concerning him. And when Jesus first begins his ministry, this baby that the wise men have brought gifts to, he grows up and becomes a rabbi. Matthew 4, 17, for at that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' ministry was actually about a kingdom. And that, that's not the way we would phrase it because we're Americans and we don't live in a kingdom with a king. We live in the United States. But the New Testament was defined by this phrase that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus was a king with a kingdom. And the gospel is the good news that there is a new king. And that's a, that's a pretty big world-breaking, world-shaking sort of a statement. And so this gospel, this good news about the kingdom goes on from Jesus's disciples as they spread it across the world and Jesus spent so much of his ministry explaining to us what the kingdom of God was actually like. Because the kingdom of God is different than the power structures that we see in this world. The kingdom of God, uh, Jesus told parables and stories. One of my favorite stories where Jesus describes the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is like a party. Where the king invited all of the nobles and said, come on over to this party. But the nobles and the elite and the rich and the powerful, they said, no, we're too busy. I don't have time for you. I have something else that I need to do. And so then the king sent his messengers out into the city and he grabbed the poor and the oppressed and the sick and the downtrodden and everybody that you wouldn't want at a party. And he brings them into his banquet because the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. We all know what a pyramid scheme is, right? In the office, I love the scene where, where the character Michael Scott is explaining this thing. And he's like, it's not a pyramid scheme. It's not multi-level marketing. It's just that there's this guy on top. We're underneath and we get more people underneath us. And then someone comes and draws a pyramid around that shape. And then they realize, oh yeah, this is a pyramid scheme. And we've been in situations where people are climbing over each other to get to the top. 
If you've worked in an office environment that's like that, or you've worked at a job where everybody's gunning for each other, that's no fun. Nobody likes to be in that place. But we live in a world where we are scrambling for our power, our attention. We're trying to build our kingdom. Even whether it's through like likes that you put out on uh, your social media and we're just trying to get people to uh, subscribe to us and build our individual kingdoms. And the way of Jesus is not up. The way of Jesus is down. It is the upside down kingdom where the person at the top is the servant who cares for everyone else beneath them. That's what Jesus showed through his life, through his actions, through his death, through his resurrection. That's backwards. That's a backwards kingdom. Not where the king doesn't have soldiers that die for him, but rather the king dies for his people. And we are called as Jesus followers. And when the church is at its best, they are living out this upside down kingdom where the way up is down and caring for each other and serving each other. In Philippians, Paul described it this way. He said that though he who was in the form of God did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, where Jesus didn't sit on his throne, but he came down to live among us. He did not come to serve, be served, but instead to serve. And when the church is at its best is when we are living out that truth. And that's what we're invited to do. Sometimes when we talk about the gospel and we say, man, give your life to Jesus. Be forgiven for your sins so that you can one day live in heaven with God. We skip this whole chunk of time called our life. That's kind of important where we have a team and a mission and something to live for, something to strive for. Because we are called to live as kingdom people, even though we live on this earth in the middle of what's going on right now. We are called to live as kingdom people. Some scholars would call that the already, not yet. That Jesus' kingdom has come and it started, but it hasn't been completely completed yet. Almost like at your house, maybe you have some presents under your Christmas tree. Now, those presents are, are purchased, they're wrapped. Do the presents exist? Yes. But do your kids get to go scramble and open them up? No, they have to wait. That's the classic line, do not open till Christmas. One of the hardest, most frustrating lines in human history. Do not open till Christmas. And it's a little bit like that, where we believe in the kingdom that Jesus is going to bring and has brought, but it's not completely fulfilled yet. We live in the tension of the moment. And when there are kingdoms that meet each other, there's a battle and there are sparks that fly. What's the rest of this story? Do the wise men come to Mary and Joseph? And then they're warned in a dream to go a different way. Don't go back to Herod. And then Herod realizes that he's been tricked by the wise men and declares that every male born in Bethlehem that's under two years old needs to be killed because he is trying to establish his kingdom and eradicate God's kingdom. And this is where these gifts that the wise men have brought, they probably came in really handy because Mary and Joseph were able to sell those gifts and they were able to go down to Egypt 
And by doing that, they were able to flee and survive. And baby Jesus escaped this terrible thing of this evil kingdom trying to, trying to destroy him. Now, what does all that mean for us? Like, this is, this is a story. It happened 2,000 years ago. But Jesus' kingdom offers us a challenge. The fact that Jesus is king. It offers us a challenge. We have three ways we can respond to that. Number one, we can respond like Herod. Herod opposed Jesus. He saw the kingdom of Jesus as a threat to his power, his comfort, his way of life. And maybe you're, you're like, Andrew, why are you comparing me to a genocidal maniac? Like none of us are going to raise our hand and say, yeah, we want to be with that crazy guy. But here's the, the reality is there are areas of our life where we feel threatened. We say, I don't want to surrender that to God. I don't want to live out my life in God's way in that area. And so I would ask us to really be honest with ourselves. What are some of the areas where we do need to submit to Jesus as King and let him be Lord of our life with our marriage, with our finances, with our time, with our energy? The other way that we can encounter Jesus is the way that the priests and the scribes did. They ignored him. It's kind of crazy that they didn't go looking for this baby afterwards. Nobody did. They knew that the star had showed up, that the baby had been born in Bethlehem, but nobody went to go look for him. And maybe it's really easy for us right now. I know that things are busy, times are tough. We are all trying to just figure out work in the new world, how to get our kids to Zoom and school and everything. And it's really easy to let our spiritual rhythms our relationship with God go by the wayside. And I've got one encouragement to us there. Don't. Don't ignore it. There was a pastor who had an encouragement for me that I've really latched onto that my devotional time, my time with God needs to be bulletproof. That no matter what happens to it, that is something that I hang on to. And maybe you need to start something small, like reading the Bible and praying for one person when you have your coffee every morning. And then there's the final way that you can respond to Jesus. And that's the way the Magi did. That was the fact that they worshiped him. Mike Miller, when we were talking about this series, he pointed out that there are actually four gifts that the wise men bring. They bring gold, frankincense, myrrh, and they bring their worship. Where they bow before this baby, they say, Jesus is king. Now, I've got one final item that I want to share with you. It's something that's been in the Bullock household for a long time. My grandma had one of these. My dad has one of these. And I just love the fact that this is a reminder that Christmas time is this great reminder that Jesus is king. That what it all comes down to, we have missed the point if we do not realize that Christmas is about the fact that Jesus is king. Let's pray. Father God, we pray for this season. We pray for our hearts and our souls. God, that you would speak to us, that you would move in us, that we would make you the Lord of our lives. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.